Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 38. We've been following Paul for the last few chapters here. It's been a while in, in the book that we've been following Paul now on his several missionary journeys. This is the close of his third. He's headed back to Jerusalem, and uh, he's going to be arrested, and the rest of the book kind of details that and his trip to Rome. And so he has some words that he believes are going to be his last to this particular church, and that's what we have for us in Acts chapter 20. Before we go to the word, let's go to him in prayer again and ask for his help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it. We are a people who want this to be about a standard that we can easily reach, some sort of short little stepladder that we can stand upon and show our goodness to the world. But this is a word about you and your goodness and your mercy to a people who hated you. And so, Lord, help us to see our place in it. Not only as desperate sinners, but also as believers who are struggling, who are walking in the light, and who sometimes long for the darkness. And so, Lord, help us to keep our focus on you, convict us of our sin, expose our wickedness this morning as we read from the truth of your word, and Lord, teach us to serve as we ought and to obey. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read this and I looked at these words of of Paul's to this uh, group of elders, it made me think of famous last words of individuals. I read lots of last words of famous people over the uh, weeks. There's a plethora of that sort of thing on the, the Internet. And there's even actually a book called Last Words of Notable People for those who were interested in those sorts of things. I didn't buy the book. I just read an excerpt from it, and it was last words. As I read through them, it's remarkable how many of those last words really weren't all that remarkable, actually. You'd think that from famous people, you're going to get some sort of famous bit of truth that can help us peons go throughout life, but it's not that at all, really. For instance, someone like Winston Churchill. When you think of Winston Churchill, right, you think of a great leader of our time, and he was. Uh, otherwise fairly quotable man but his deathbed he said I'm bored with it all and died death row inmates provide some of the most interesting snippets some of them all offer last insults to the warden or to whoever's keeping them some of them have these last pleas to the family that they uh, committed their crime against Some of them offer something else completely. Like one inmate said that he wanted everyone to know that he was given regular spaghetti instead of SpaghettiOs for his last meal because he asked for SpaghettiOs and he was cheated out of that. He wanted the press to know that. They do. They they now know that. Some of them passed away peacefully. Some of them not so much. Some of them had loving words for their spouse. Some of them had words of fear or even surprise. Um, Steve Jobs, his last words were, wow, over and over until he passed away. Who knows what he was wowing about. 
Why did I look this up and read it? Well, Paul has some last words for us today, not to us necessarily, because we have lots of his words here for us, but to the elders in the Ephesian church. He says that he doesn't know if he's going to ever see them again. His time is drawing to an end. Both the Spirit is giving him this info, which we'll read, and he senses this. He has to, just as a person who doesn't want danger. He can sense his enemies pressing in around him. On his way back to Jerusalem, he's going to kind of take a pit stop. He doesn't even actually go into Ephesus. He kind of parks about 50 miles away from Ephesus, calls the elders to him. And these are his final words to them, and I think they're important for us in that way. So in the text today, though it's directed toward elders, I mean, in that Paul is speaking directly to this group of men who lead the Ephesian church, there's a lot for all of us to learn from it. The directives given to these elders are words for all of us to hear, not only as we pray for the elders of the church, obviously, but as we each go about our own daily ministries, very important for us. We'll look at these instructions, how we are deficient in following them many times. And we'll look, of course, at our great elder brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who welcomes us even though we struggle with him. So as we look at this text, I want to consider three points. The example of Paul's ministry, the instruction to pay attention, and then the instruction to be alert. And so with that, let's read the text together, standing as we do so. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17, reading through the end of that chapter. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which, you, the, Holy, in, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remember, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he is able to build you up and to give you the 
the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed for them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just quickly, a review. Last week we talked how Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem. He wanted to get back for Pentecost, which was the Jewish Feast of Weeks and a very important uh, part of the Jewish history, 50 days after the Passover. And now, of course, that day having a lot more significance to Paul as a believer and as a Christian there because at Pentecost the Holy Spirit came down among the people of God. And so he's wanting to get back to the Jerusalem church. On his way back, he met a few snags. He went back through the Macedonian churches, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, among others. Remember, then he preached a really long sermon in Troas, which is what we talked about last week and the, the falling out of all of that, pardon the pun. And now we're in Miletus, having sent for the Ephesian elders who are some 50 miles away. And so again, this isn't just a, let's drive to Paducah today. This is probably a couple of day journey or three day journey for these elders, but the Apostle Paul is sending for us. And so of course, they're going to go. They came. It shows the authority that Paul had over them, of course, and not like a military general do this and they immediately did that. But it shows this relationship that they had with Paul. And the text further enforces that, particularly when we get to the end and there's weeping. and they, You can tell there's a lot of love between the men there. We need to make sure that when we read the, when we read about these biblical characters, particularly Paul, that we don't depersonalize him. One of the most technical seminary texts I have is just simply called The Theology of Paul. And it's hard to read. And I think a lot of times when you see that, you might be thinking you're going to get into like a biography of Paul, but it's not a biography of Paul at all. It's not that it's a bad book. It's just a very technical book. And it, you could easily depersonalize the man Paul. It's easy to think of him as an idea. As instead of a person who existed in history and cared for people so deeply that he risked his life over and over to care for the church. And again, that doesn't mean that we elevate him either, but I think it's great to see the way that he loved the people, the way that he loved his church or the whole church of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the first point, the example of Paul's ministry. Paul begins this talk with them as, with a testimony about his own ministry there in Ephesus and in all of Asia, the province of Asia. We have to be careful here. I think it's real easy to grab a hold of some of these things that he's saying about himself and his humility and and different things and look at it and say, yep, yep, I like that. That's that's me. That's what I'm doing. I'm in ministry just like Paul, being humble, being, being a servant, yada, yada. This is not a scoreboard. 
for us to begin to tabulate our own score next to Paul's and look, I'm pretty much serving the way that Paul's serving. No, you, this is not that. Jesus is our measure. The Apostle Paul is not, and we fail in that measure. Our score is zero or less. We need Jesus, each one of us, including Paul. He needed Jesus too. We're not reading about a great man whom we should emulate, whom we think we might already be like. And we have to be careful here with that. Paul says that he was humble. Yet he did not back down from the teaching of the church, which he did faithfully for years in Ephesus. And we read some of that, right? He was very faithful to preach, even though there was a lot of resistance. He preached in public. Remember, the, he rented out the, the hall of that man, uh, Tyrannus, or the, he let him teach there. And he went from house to house teaching. And he didn't just teach where it was easy. He taught to his own people, the Jews, who in many instances hated him. He taught to the Gentiles in a, in a deeply pagan city, uh, in, a, a, in a pagan nation. He had Jewish converts, and the Jews were his enemies as well. I mean, this is just hard. He even goes so far as to say in 26 and 27 that he says, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. What does he mean here? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's borrowing from the book of Ezekiel here, Ezekiel 33. Encourage you to read that uh, on your own time, maybe later today in study. But what's he talking about? Well, the Ezekiel 33 talks about the watchmen on the on the walls, and it was their job to see if an enemy was coming. Ezekiel is building up an argument about how the elders of Israel is the reason that Israel fell, and their elders are, have been horrible, and they were bad shepherds to the flock of Israel, and it was. Their blood, the blood of Israel, was on the head of the elders of that group. Paul saying here, as far as it's depended on me, I have preached and I have taught the gospel of Jesus Christ to all, including the Jews. Their blood is not on my hands. This is not a call to believers in the sense that uh, we have to be concerned that, uh, well, I didn't preach the gospel of that guy over there across the way. And I saw him, and maybe I know that he's not a believer, so now his blood's on my hands. This is a call to overseers in the church to preach the gospel, not to preach their own gospel, but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as a warning to the church, a warning of impending doom, and that doom being the wrath of God. Paul did his duty of this, not only in the church, but also to the people. He gave them the full counsel of God's word. And now he's headed to Jerusalem. Look at verses 22 and 23. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knows what's in store for him there because the Spirit for whatever reason, chose to warn him about this. Again, this is not an opening for us to talk about how the Spirit has warned us many times. We have the complete testimony of God's Word right here in 
the con- in the text of the Bible. Paul is an apostle. We are not. We're not receiving direct revelations from the Lord. And so this isn't our opening to say that we are. But Paul knows that he's going to have trouble in Jerusalem. And the elders are hearing this. And they know this isn't going to be good. It almost makes me think of when the Lord Jesus was going back to Jerusalem as well. And he said, this is our last trip to Jerusalem. Verse 24 and 25. I do not account my, my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What's he saying to to them? Don't be sad for me because I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. Oh yeah, and you're probably never going to see me again. I'm sure that these words cause some trouble and some anxiety for those elders there. Not only are they losing their leader, they're losing their friend. They're losing the guy that they had done ministry with side by side in a difficult place. You, you build this camaraderie, this brotherly love. It was a sad moment. But for Paul, it was a moment to say, I did right by you. You're going to be okay. What can we do with this as a church here today? I think as we consider our own ministries, individual, even as Redeemer of the Church, our ministry and our own individual ministries, we need to ask ourselves, are we doing right by those that are under us? And when I say our own ministries, I say that a lot, and I want to make sure that we understand what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a church program that you're in charge of, and maybe that's, that is part of that, but that's not exclusively that. But I'm talking about what's going on at home. With your family, your jobs, your friendships, the way that you minister to those people, the way that you serve them, the way that you do as Scripture has said you ought to do in loving them, as well as what's going on in the church. Are we loving folks the way that we should? Are we teaching the things that we ought to be teaching? Are we doing it to be recognized? Or are we doing it with humility, quietly serving in the background? Paul did ministry in Ephesus in such a way as to say, in the time that I was with you, I have no regrets. At least from what we can tell in this passage. I mean, maybe he did have some personal regrets. No one's perfect. But he's what he's saying here, I did not fail to preach the gospel to you. I preached the whole counsel of God's word. You heard it straight from me. You had everything that I could give you. On the other side of that coin, on the other side of are we doing all that we can, are we loving, are we living with the opposite of that for those times that we didn't do what we should have done? Having left two churches now, myself, we were in Mississippi until 2008 and in Maryland until June 2012, we've left many relationships I, as a pastor, have left many relationships. Most of those leavings were on good terms, and I can still 
talk to those people today and, and love having those conversations, but some, not so much. I left some loose ends as well with students that needed more discipleship, with families that needed more counseling, and the list could just go on and on and on. And I could easily get bogged down in this sense of, man, I could have done a much better job while I was there. Why was I so stupid when I was young? And all these different questions that I could, that I can say. I could live with this regret and it could bother me and it could, it could sink into my soul. Or I could trust the great shepherd who says that he will leave 99 or leave the 99 to save the one. Every single time. Do I trust that he cares for his people more than I do? Brothers and sisters, let us minister in such a way as to leave nothing undone. But for those things that we do leave undone, we know that Jesus cares for his sheep, again, much more than we do. We can trust that whatever those failings are, the home, the job, relationships, whatever they are, and they're there, He is going to do much more than we could ask or imagine. He is taking care of it. He will do right, even where we couldn't. And that brings me to the next point, the instruction to pay attention. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So the final instruction here for the elders is to pay attention, to pay careful attention, literally to turn your mind to that thing. First, turn your mind to yourselves, then turn your mind to the flock, the people of God, the church of God. Again, this instruction is particularly important for elders, and and I could go on and on about that, but... It's important for leaders in the family, leaders in the home, leaders at the job place, which covers all of us here. It's important for each of us as we have been called not only to take care of ourselves, which is the temple of God, our own bodies, but also to love one another as Christ loved us. We're reminded of this kind of love here in this passage. We're to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. It assigns an immeasurable amount of value to the people of God. Why should we do that? Because they are worth more than anything, the people of God. Just a note here, who, who, is, uh, who is it saying that he obtained, or that uh, he obtained with his own blood there in 28? To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Again, this is a picture of the, the Paul, of Paul's doctrine, or the, of Luke's doctrine, of, the, of Christ as it perfectly teaches the deity of Christ. Again, God, his blood, just as an aside. How are we to do these things? How are we to pay careful attention? First, paying attention to ourselves can be one of the hardest things that we do as believers. Um, and you may think that's not true. You may think, well, that's all we do is pay attention to ourselves. Well, not in the way the text is telling us to do that. This text is warning us that we may indeed be the problem. Pay careful attention to ourselves. 
we easily become used to our own sin so that we don't even see it. We become blind to it so much. That is why we must remain in the Word. What does the Word do for us? It exposes our wickedness. It opens our eyes. It shows us where we are deficient. But also, we must pay attention to others with the assumption that others are paying attention to us as well. And so how can we better see our own sin? With the help of others in the faith. If everyone is watching everyone else, there's a good chance that sin won't be able to hide. And that's a good thing. This isn't just about accountability. That's a word that gets thrown around way too much. Accountability groups and all this sort of quaint thing. The whole church should be watching the whole church. It's about the day-to-day care of one another in the church. Do you know what's going on in the lives of the folks? Just even here in Redeemer. Do you listen? Do you ask questions? On the other end, are you willing to receive care from the church? That's a thing. Are you willing to receive comfort and help when that hand has been extended and says, Here, let me help you. Or is your pride in the way? It's important. Do you submit to the leadership, to the elders? Do you open up about the struggles that you have in your life, even those things that seem mundane? This is important. People crave authenticity, especially from the church, because so many times, what have they received from the people of God? The opposite of that. Closed-minded, secretive, pretentious people When we are authentic with each other, I'm not even talking about the world. When we are authentic with each other, the world will take note of that and they will want it more than anything. Also notice his last words, 33 through 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why is he telling them this? He's reminding them. He didn't come to them wanting their money. Instead, he made his own way. Why would he say this? Well... So many of the itinerant leaders and traveling preachers and pastors of that day who claimed to have a word from the Lord or claimed to be a prophet of God only did so if the plates were full. Does that remind you of 2,000 years forward? Should. This isn't a call for pastors to be poor, as I've heard some people talk about this, or to be bivocational, though that's perfectly fine, or to work for free. That's not calling for any of these things. While Paul is, but while Paul is with these folks, what did he do? He worked. And he tells us why. He says, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If he had come wanting their money, 
they would have immediately been suspicious, right? But he didn't. The love of money is a sure sign that you're dealing with a false teacher. So he didn't want that, particularly in their day. They were very suspicious of that, like just like we are. So he didn't want their money. He did his own thing, and he preached to them anyway. <clears throat> now we can read in other places where he did receive support, and that's fine. In other places, even that he taught the church that they should provide for the minister as he works. Absolutely. But Paul, he did it in this way. And I think for us, we need to consider this in a few ways, and it's important. One of the main things that people will say about the church, especially those who've been hurt by it, will say that that's all they care about is money. Well, don't talk to that preacher because he just wants your money. They say these things. Granted, there are some churches that are that way, I'm sure. I've been to worship services that end up being fundraiser parties, sadly. Uh, I've seen that firsthand. I know that it does happen. However, for the most part, many churches have trouble talking about money at all, actually. They just don't ever mention it, which again leads to assumptions and secrets and the lack of authenticity. We should not only handle our money appropriately, but we should be not afraid to teach and preach on what the Bible says about money. The Bible talks about money all the time. We don't owe the world an explanation concerning the money of the church, how we handle our money or anything like that. But we also should have the attitude of we have nothing at all to hide as the people of God. This goes for our churches, our businesses, even our personal finances as well. Because money is how we do everything in this world, the enemy can use it more than anything to manipulate us and cause us to be led astray or to lead others astray. And so I think Paul gives us an important word here that brings us to this last instruction, which is to be alert. Look with me at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, not a day, to admonish everyone with tears. He paints a picture of a flock of sheep. The shepherd is left and the wolves are coming in to tear them apart. In the northern part of the United States, wolves are making a real comeback. They've, they are not allowed to be hunted anymore except for people who have permits and maybe farmers who are protecting their own land. Overall, this has been very good for the environment up there. Ask me about it. I can talk for a long time. It's one of the things that I just love to, to read about and talk about. But while it's been good for the environment, it hasn't been good for the local farmers, as you can imagine, who have increased quite a bit since the last time the wolves were a real threat in north, in the northern part of the, this country, which was about a hundred years ago. And so now they're coming back and all of a sudden there's these big fat livestock all over the place. They're a threat because they will find a herd, like sheep or cows or whatever, they can take it all out. And they will pick them off one by one until everything is dead. Or they'll just go into the herd and kill everything in one night and then just eat off of it for the remaining of the winter. Sometimes I think it's important for us to look at this because why does the scriptures always use wolves for the enemy? Wolves are predators. And predators must hunt. To stay alive. And when they hunt, they still kill and destroy. 
Remember Jesus' words in John chapter 10 as he talked about the sheep and him being the great shepherd and the wolves that would come in when the shepherd is away and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Paul's issues a warning here. The wolves are coming. Absolutely they're coming. Not only that, not only are the wolves coming, but there will be wolves that will even rise up from among the elders there. And they will take the words of God which have been entrusted to them as teachers of the word of God, who were ones to be handlers of the word of God, and to do so rightly, they would take these words and they would manipulate them and they would take those sheep under their care away, stealing them, ultimately leading to their own destruction. We've seen this even in the book of Acts as we've been studying through it. In Revelation 2 and 3, Again, a couple of chapters good for study. Each of those churches, these are letters to the churches there in Asia Minor, each of those churches were dealing with false teachers on one level or another. In the church of Ephesus, it was a group called the Nicolaitans. In Smyrna, it was people claiming to be Jews but weren't. In Pergamum, it was the worship of Balaam. In Thyatira, they were following some woman named Jezebel, Sardis, The word says that these people were claiming to be alive, but they were really dead. Nominal belief. Philadelphia, again, fakers. Laodicea, lukewarm believers. What is the danger that they bring? The false teacher, the naysayer, the nominal believer. They all bring with them a false gospel that doesn't point to Jesus Christ, but points to some other idea, an idea that leads to death. So what is the charge to us, brothers and sisters, to be alert? If you think it can't happen here, we may already be doomed. Be alert for the church. It can happen at home very quickly. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen with your kids. It can happen very fast. The false gospel can and will destroy It cannot offer hope. It only offers despair. And that's what we have. We have when our earthly, while earthly shepherds leave, and those leavings are sad, just like we read here, we have a great shepherd who never leaves. Not only that, what does our great shepherd do? He says, the great shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd And I lay my life down for my sheep. Our Lord Jesus not only protects us, his sheep, from the enemy, but ultimately he protected us from the wrath of the Father himself by laying his life down so that we could be justified. He lay his life down for me and for you. We deserved death, but he took it for us. Rather than have us face it, he faced it for each of us. He is a true shepherd of his sheep. And he would die. And if he would die for us, we better believe that he will continue to care for us even now. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, let us continue to pay attention to ourselves and the whole church. Because troubled times are among us. And I think we can all understand that. But they've always been around. Even then, when Paul was talking to these elders there, people are turning to other gods, hoping in other things left and right. And we must remain 
vigilant. Let us pray or let us pay attention to one another that we may walk as we ought. And let us be alert because the enemy is always on the prowl. And let us ultimately trust in the one, our Lord Jesus, who loves his sheep and continues to keep them even now. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are your sheep, as we are told over and over throughout the Bible. And we are sheep that easily wander away, that feed on things we shouldn't, that lay down in dangerous places. And so, Lord, we pray that you would keep us, that you would continue to watch over us. And for those various parts of our lives that we have leadership in, whether it be the home and the church and our job places, whatever it is, that you would help us to take heed, not only of ourselves, but for those under us, that we would be alert, the enemy is on the prowl, that you would help us, that you would give us your word as the primary weapon for our defense against the weapon of the enemy. We are thankful for you, our Lord and Savior, who ultimately has defeated our enemy by your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.